you know, we've done this in our class, like our membership class. So you're kind of getting a little bit of a, you know, insight into that. And uh, so what I'm going to do is, I think you should have a sheet. Y'all got a sheet? There's a sheet on the back table back there. It should have like uh, identities on it. Everybody got one? Okay. Well, let's pray together and we'll get started. Father, we thank you for your um, word and how you guide us and help us see things that we uh, maybe didn't see before. Maybe we've read the Bible uh, many different times and not fully grasped some of the things that you have um, worked in us as your people. And we pray we would always be sensitive, that we would not come in thinking uh, in pride, thinking we know everything, but in humility, uh, seek to learn as you intended for us to. In Christ's name, amen. So um, maybe for you to just think about it this morning, what we've tried to do and kind of following in a, I guess you could say tradition of some other folks is say, okay, who are we in Christ? And what does the scripture present uh, about us that we can think about and then live in light of? So Paul does that really well in Ephesians 1 three, through 3 and then 4 to 6 and then 1 to 3 he says this is who you are in Christ and 4 to 6 it say, he says this is how you ought to live. In Colossians 1 and 2 this is who you are, 3 and 4 this is how you ought to live. In Romans 1 through 11 he expounds on the gospel and says this is what this is, these are the great truths of it and then in 12 to 16 this is how you live, it's a pattern. And a lot of times there's people that are chained, like they think um, that basically kind of they believe the gospel and then in their own efforts, they're trying to live out uh, Christian convictions uh, as hard as they can. They'll just work, 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 work at it. And they have really two options uh, after they're working really hard at that. One option is to minimize the list. So what they'll do is they will get it down to something that they think they can manage and then they're really a good Christian in their own eyes. And there's whole groups of people like that. And they'll have like three or four things and they get those down. Then they can leave any level of like Christian depth or Christian like growth. They don't need that anymore. They've got their list. And so they carry it around in their pocket. Anytime they start feeling a little bit guilty or something, they'll look, Here's my list. I did those, put it back in there, and then they can leave Christianity in a sense. Not, not that they're walking away from Christ, but they can, they've, they've like mastered it. Does that make sense? So that kind of happens a lot where people think, I mastered that. I read the Bible one time, mastered it. Well, when you think that your life, that you have been transformed within, and then you're trying to live that out, then you think, I'm never going to master that. It's not like a class I go to, finish it, and then I mastered it. It's not that way. Christianity becomes, but you don't even want it to be that way. Because you, you want then to say, how can I live a lifetime of offering my life back to the Lord because of all that he's done for me in the power that he's provided so the Christian life is like not something that I obtain like this level of excellence and then I just kind of keep it up or whatever it is. God has radically transformed me within 
I'm trying to offer my life back to him in an humble like acceptance of my weakness. I'm saying like, I know I'm not offering myself back to him as great as I could. I never will. And so I'm living in this life of saying he's transformed me within. Now let me offer my life back. And that's what I do kind of over and over. One of the things of the transformation that we talked about last week was learners. He, we went from death. That's what spiritually like I can't hear to and even like blind spiritually I, I can't see to the spirit works in one's heart and life regeneration takes place and all of a sudden blind eyes see and deaf ears hear that that's that's kind of what happens and so then I can say he has changed me in such a way where things that did not mean anything to me now mean something to me. And so because of this radical shift inside of me, then I want to learn. So then I began this journey of saying, let me gather all the tools out there to learn and grow. Let me experientially learn and grow. Let me like sharpen those tools every day so that I might learn and grow. Because at the heart of what it means to be a disciple radically shaped by the gospel is I want to use every tool possible so that I can learn and grow. And it's not something that I'm like in a class where I'm like, I finished this course. Here is my degree on the wall. That's not the idea of the Christian faith. The Christian faith is how can I forever peer into the depths of the greatness of the glory of God in Christ and see him again? I want to see him more fully. So I've never obtained it. Paul didn't think he obtained it. Like anybody that acts like they've obtained it and they've got that figured out and they're not studying and thinking and drinking deeply. One is they may not have ever really had a hunger for God in the first place. And the other is if they really think they've already done that, they are like, they need to go back to that deal where it's like God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. The humble, they're longing to learn and grow. And there's some people like they don't really want to. And you say, well, it's either the spirits never worked in your life genuinely transformed you from within or somewhere along the way. You start to believe that, um, that 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 Christianity is not walking with Christ is not a process and you, you don't even hunger for him anymore. And something's going on and you need to repent of that and say, Lord, bring back the wonder of this salvation and let me kind of move forward. So. Anyway, so here's what we do as a church. We are learners. We're down with that. We push for that. We say we believe that. We can see and understand like we never could before. And then what we do is we say, what are the best tools that I can give you to grow? And then if you're not like taking advantage of those tools, like study guides, discussion groups, sermons, community groups, stuff, like, like that's you're 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 only you're not working the process with us because if you work the process with us i mean it's almost like if you working the process and you walking um in community with other people uh, we we really believe that's god's plan that you move through the process of learning and growing and we think you can and we believe you will and so the second one that we looked at last week i'm just kind of reviewing it but i just want you to remember these is we are worshipers um you're born a worshiper. 
That, that's just what we say over and over and over. You are born a worshiper. So you could worship the creation. You could worship um, uh, some particular creature. I mean, your little pet, you know, little Fido. You know, or some people that like love their dog so much, it's like, don't you get, don't you, don't you mess up with my dog, you know. And it's like their whole life or whatever, you know, or whatever it might be. There's so many different things um, that people get captured by to the point where they love it more than anything in their whole life. And as long as um, God or anybody else doesn't mess with that, they kind of feel okay with God and feel okay with people. Does that make sense? That's kind of how you're born. And so you see a little kid early on, that's mine, you know, and they're ready to fight you, you know, because they just, it's theirs. Um, and you see that kind of stuff cropping up in your heart where you're saying, hmm, and we call that idolatry where you're longing for the wrong stuff. You're taking something, a good thing, and turning it into a God thing. And you can do that with almost anything. I guess you could anything. You can turn your family into a God. You can turn your sports into a God. You can turn your outdoors into a God. You can turn your work into a God. You can turn your bank account into a God. And anything, that there's just anything that's not a bad thing, but anything that you turn into like this place of like your highest honor. We would say that people are, that are not Christians, they're living their whole lives that way. That's what non-Christians do. They don't worship God. They have turned the created things into gods. But here's what we're saying. When, by God's grace, you can see this in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10, that they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son. When that happened, there is a shift of allegiance. They have abandoned the gods of this age but, but really, they've turned to God and, and abandoned. It's really as they turned to God, they left. It's like repentance. They're turning to God and they're leaving those things behind so that when they did that, they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son. Then what you see in First Thessalonians is, is they're offering their lives back in such a way that people are hearing about it and seeing it and saying, I want to be a part of that. So we're saying we used to be given over to the worship of things that are idols of, of this age, and we were just totally dominated by those. And we woke up every day thinking about those things that are God-made rather than thinking about God. But in his mercy, when he took you from being someone given over to created things and turned your heart towards the creator, then you're wanting to offer back your life to him. That doesn't mean you can't still appreciate like this morning, this nice cool day or yesterday I got in a boat and ran up the Sulphur River. I can appreciate that with joy in my heart towards God, but it can't take my life. And I begin to think the river, it, the Sulphur River is like the Nile River. You know, and I'm like, this thing's feeding me. It's my God, you know. It brings me so much delight, you know. I can't do that because when I'm doing that, I'm walking away from him and I'm worshiping the, worshiping the creation more than the creator. And so anyway, you just think, we are worshipers. What happened was God in his mercy uh, 
like First Peter says, causes you to be born again, and you are a new creature, and you now want to serve and worship God. And so you're saying, we're saying, we gather here to worship, and then you live a life of worship. You're living a life of offering yourself back to God. So that was the second one. The third one, we are a family. Now, what we would say is, and again, we're not going to look at all the passages. I'm just kind of giving you these identities, who we are as people. We were once um, strangers uh, to, to God, like we were separated from God's people. Um, we were once like not in his family. That's what we would say. We were just not. We're not a part of his family. And uh, so you were um, a hopeless person. And God in his mercy brought you into his family. Part of that whole thing of being born again is, did you birth yourself into your natural family? No. Did you birth yourself into the spiritual family? No. But God in his mercy causes us to be born again so that we're birthed into a family of people that are um, are in the family. They have, uh, this is what the scripture says, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're citizens and with the saints and members of the household of God. Um, some of us, probably more than others, are very frightened by people, like going somewhere new, meeting someone new. I mean, and some of you aren't. I mean, I, it just depends. Um, but I think it's important just to say, like, uh, uh and some of, and I'll do this with my boys sometimes. Be like, go knock on that door. If we're trying to do something, you go knock on the door, introduce yourself, whatever. And and what I'm doing is forcing them to be okay with connecting with people that they don't know. You know, so I'm like pushing them all the time to like do. Yesterday I had them. We were eating lunch, and 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 uh, we saw this guy anyway. But we we just I sent them over this table and had them like say talk to him by themselves you know and uh, but but what happens is is like you feel very out of place most of the time if you're not a part of a family when there is this family you could feel really out of place because the family even if they have somebody that's really dysfunctional and really I don't know like not a good person even but they're, they're still a part of the family and so they kind of feel at home there and uh, and so the idea here is is um, when you think about coming up to God's house, you don't feel like an outsider anymore, but you feel like, hey, there's a nameplate over my room that says that's my room in God's house, and there's a chair where I sit at the table in God's house. So what we're saying is. Adoption is all the rights and privileges of a son in that ancient world are yours. You're a member of the house. This is an identity change. Once I was alienated from God. Once I was a stranger to the covenant of promise of being blessed by God. Now I've been brought into the family of God. That's a change. My name has changed. You, you know what I'm sa saying? It's radically changed, and all of the it's it's uh, all of the benefits of being in that family have come to me. 
and the fullness of all those benefits are yet to be, but they still are there. And so that's why um, the scripture can say like you're, uh, you know, you're born again to a living hope and, and it, it's a it's reserved in heaven. It, it's it's a, that's why the scripture would say like you're no one can blot your name out or uh, Jesus could say like my father who has given you to me. He's greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. He's saying like, and whenever Jesus said, you call him Father, it's not saying like, you call him Father until you make him mad. And then he's going to act like you were a part of the family for a little while, but then he's going to cut you off and no longer no, and say no longer a part of the family. That's not the idea. So that changes things. That The security that that gives you the security of being in that family that that gives you is like, it's not like an earthly family that kind of has some level of prominence or whatever, who are, they're on shaky ground at best. They and their pride think that they're like maybe something. They're on shaky ground at best. And the reality is, is uh, you're like, man, a generation, like that, that's that, those things, th these things come and go. Not with God's family. Not with God's family. So you're forever with his family. He's not like this uh, irresponsible or foolish or emotional, but you know, basket case that's like one day loves you and hates you. And all, you know, it's not. That's not God has set His love on you, and so you're in His family. That gives you a lot of peace, not to have to run around and try to make yourself something in the eyes of others. So we're saying, what does it look like to be a family? And what does it mean? Like, look, this is a big thing. What does it mean to welcome people into that? What does it mean to treat your brothers and sisters in Christ like that? What does it mean to love them with like God-like love? It's not just, you know, where somebody might say, say like, I love my children like no other love. And you'd be like, yeah, everybody in the whole world does that. But what does it mean to love like God loves the people that were not his children and bring them into his family forever? Like that's when I know you're really a loving person. It's not because you love your kids of course you know you should right to some extent you should say like we i mean however you want to say that like we love them but in a much greater way we're looking and saying wait god loved us uh, even when we were not a part of the family he sent his son to make us a part of the family so that's kind of a big thing not just a little thing so we say we're learners our eyes have been opened um we're worshipers used to we were given over to all these idols and like serving everything in this present world thinking about it building it and making it everything and now we're like we, we we were shifted over so that we could like really worship god and then we say he brought us into his family and and i, I got to think about all the time that all the time he changed all that for me okay so today we're looking at servants and i'm just gonna Give you just a quick, so we're saying our identities is something we just kind of go over with people, try to encourage them in. Okay, so servants, just listen to this. We are sinners who have been served by the great servant, the Lord Jesus, who gave his life in service to us and humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what are we saying we're saying like that changes something for us he served us in the highest possible way and so what what does someone who has experienced this kind of service do they want to offer back service that that's kind of 
the way you'd want to think about that. John 13, 5 says, Then he poured out water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel uh, that was wrapped around him. What's he showing them? He's showing, he's demonstrating for them what it means to be a servant. The king of glory, second person of the Trinity, the eternal son of God, left heaven, came to earth, and he didn't say stuff like, I should be respected down here, guys. Made everything. I've sustained everything. Respect me. You know, like some, are, are you, like, he really is the king. Just not, you know, like you, you might be like, well, I'm the, I should be respected. I'm the queen. Queen of what? He's the king of everything. He's not coming down and saying, by the way, I'm here. Did you know who I am? You know, he's becoming the lowliest of servants. He goes so low that he goes to even death on a cross. So, Philippians 2, 1 through 4. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. I don't know if this would count, Jacob, when I was racing you today. because I saw Jacob pull up behind me kind of like going to church and I was like, Anna taught me. She always teaches me like the fastest ways to get to places. And so I was like, I'm going to beat him. You know, and then when he pulls in, I was like, boy, I've been here a while. I've been sitting back, had a glass of tea. And what, what are you doing now? But we have to be really careful of that. We, we, we have to be careful of like thinking in terms of like we're competing with one another. And that's kind of think what was going on in Philippians where they have these convictions, desires, they're working on certain kinds of ministry. And I think there's just some like clashing. And he's like, man, why are you not thinking like Jesus? So he says in verse 4, let each one of you look not only at his own interest, but also the interest of others. And so um, it, verse 3 says, do nothing from the rivalry you can see. But this way he says, count others more significant than yourselves. And I had a big discussion this week with a guy where we were talking. He was just asking me a bunch of questions that made me think about a book that was written about the, I think it was called like the discipline or the delight of self-forgetfulness. I was like, you need to go back and read that book because I think it will help remind you, which is so hard. We get so caught up in, I mean, everybody can remember our own needs and our own wants, and we can think about, this is mine. This is what I want. I want it now. You know, when we move into this building, it's all like, uh, well, don't we need to do this? Don't we need to do this? Don't we need to do da 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 It's like 200 things, and all of a sudden you have to stop and say, hmm, we got to, somebody's got to sit down and think about what's the next step. And that's tough, I mean, sometimes. And, and what we have to do is say, like, the next step may not have been my next step servant is following Christ who has served him in the highest way and he's saying like whatever I do if I, if I could just line up with him and follow in his footsteps and forget I could just forget about myself and think of like what would be best I, I want to do that so um, a couple other things just to think about we're going to talk about this a little bit today in the 1030 hour but first Peter 4 10 and 11 says each person has received a special gift. And I, this is something y'all, we all ought to think about. Like, if, um, do you think it's, 
a sin to not be employing your gifts, spiritual gifts, like where you say, well, what if I don't have an opportunity? What, you know, well, um, I, I rarely, have, you know, some people, this is how you really want to, here, here's how you want to do stuff without having to do anything, kind of, or whatever, have that mentality. Go up to somebody and say, if there's anything I can do, just call me. It's like, that's the best if you don't want to do anything. Right? That is the best. You just use that every time. Anything you need me to do, call me. And they're like, well, can I get your number? Like, yeah, I'll send that to you later. Don't worry about it. You know? But, like, it, it's, it, it's, it's really like uh, the idea here is the servant, we are servants, is like Jesus humbled him. Jesus didn't say, boys uh, down there that are self-righteous and think you are really going to be able to stand before God on your own, like, if y'all need anything, call heaven. 1-800-HEAVEN. And we'll get to you. That's just not how it works. He left heaven, came to earth to a people who thought they didn't need anything from him. That, that's how, you know. And so, in the same way, um, I'm not saying go to somebody's house, they come out and you're like, that tree looked bad, I cut it down for you, no big deal, just not. But, but there's still this attitude of like, I'm, that, that's the attitude. It's saying, okay, uh, like the way I've been served, I want to serve. That, that's kind of the picture. So we're saying like, this is who you are. If you're in Christ, you have been served in such a way that it makes an indelible impression on you. Not only that, like his nature is in you, the spirit of God's working in you. So whatever the heart of God for a human is, which is presented in Jesus, whatever that is, that's what you ought to do. And, and, And service is a big deal. And here's the thing. There are people that they just don't have time for the church, serving the church, you know. like I mean, that's easy to get in that routine. And, and what that even looks like is not, I mean, I, it's it's different. But you don't, I, I remember um, early on when I really began to kind of see, oh, my goodness, I, I know and understand the gospel. I do love it, and I, I need to move towards service. It wasn't like I waited there for years to serve. It was kind of like I just started being in, around things. And you just pick up where you can and do the things that you can. And then things just kind of start happening. It's not I've never, ever, ever been like, that church just wouldn't let me serve in any way. And it's like, what, you needed a title? You can like, you, you need me to give you a ribbon? I mean, what, just like, like when you start giving yourself over, to service, then it's like, okay, I see that. Now, here's the thing. I don't think you always know what spiritual gifts you have until you look back after a couple of years of giving your life away. And, I mean, like, and after you've served for a couple of years giving your life away, you say, I really delight in doing this, and people seem to be blessed by it, and it's like this mutual building up of things, and I I don't know, maybe that's kind of like, where I'm gifted, you know? But you do have to kind of think about yourself and think, like, is if, if I'm really created in Christ to, to be conformed to the image of Christ, service will be a part of my life. And the way that will look is, is 
I will begin to do things that, that, that clearly are a demonstration of God's working in my heart. And people will be like, oh, uh, I see that. And it's, and it's a beautiful thing. And it's a neat thing. So that's, um, we are to serve out of gratitude for the love that's been shown to us. And we've been spiritually gifted to do so. Uh, I want to say a couple other things about that, because this is kind of what we go over in membership stuff, but I, I want you to just kind of think about it. Um, so one of the things that uh, we mentioned, and actually um, I mention it quite often because I think about it often, is the Trellis and the Vine uh, book that we read. And basically, you know, again, I'll say it over and over till you can repeat me, but a trellis is, is not, the trellis is just... Um, it's an instrument to hold the vine. The trellis is not the point. The vine's the point. A healthy vine growing is the point. And so a church building is a trellis. It's not the point. It's not why we exist. We didn't say, hey, let's start this church together so that we can have a building. The church is a people. And so... With all of these different gifts, that the beauty, the beauty of it, is the people of God like living out who they who they were created to be in Christ Jesus, like being conformed to the image of His Son, laying their lives down. That's the beauty of it. What's beautiful about a church is not its exterior structure. That's a trellis. What's beautiful about a church is when the lives of those a part of it are being radically reshaped and transformed so much so that you are to look at them and say, whatever that is, it's, it's glorious and it's beautiful. And I remember when they were this and now they're this, and I, I don't know what happened other than there was some kind of work in that person's heart, and it changed them. And so trellis is a lot. We do a lot of trellis work in the church in the sense of like, building structures and systems and have a spot and all that kind of stuff. We do all that stuff, but we only do it because we want to help the vine be healthy. And so um, the way I thought about it too is like if you've ever been to a restaurant and, uh, and, and you uh, are there, I mean, it depends on the kind of restaurant, I understand that, and depends on your what you're looking for, but but the idea of going to a restaurant is that you're going to eat a meal, right? And that you're going to be able to uh, talk with the person that you're there with, unless you have a phone. Then you can just look at it the whole time. But, but, but the idea used to be is you would go to a restaurant, sit at a table, converse, and eat, right? So, like, if somebody, uh, the trellis is the place, the table, the napkins, the utensils, the server doesn't make the server any less of a person than you, but in that moment, that's what, you know. So it, the idea in that kind of context is, even though I like it to be really neat and look neat and all that kind of stuff, the thing is, is I want the meal right, and I want the conversation good. And in the same way, in a church, I want you prayerfully sharing the word and the power of the Spirit with your family with those of us here, with like your lost friends. I want you doing that. And I, but we know that there's other things that go with that. And so we took a step towards a more trellis-oriented thing.
But as time goes on, we just have to keep saying, like, hey, it's about the vine. It's about the vine. It's about the vine. It's about the vine. We're trying to do that. So we want to serve one another. Here's the way we do that is we want everybody thinking about the vine. As the, and some people are going to focus more on the trellis, you know, kind of stuff like buildings and that. But what we want to do is so give ourselves to helping each other that um, nobody's bearing all the load of the trellis and not getting to think about the vine, too, in prayer for it. You know what I mean? So we just kind of have to work with that. Okay, here's the last one. So there's five. Learners. And by the way, we start with learners because if you understand who God is, then you can worship God rightly, right? So you're learners, worshipers, family, servants. And then uh, missionaries. So Jesus came down to this earth. He came down to rescue his bride. That's what he, Jesus sends his people to go out and proclaim his rescue. That, that's just what he does. It's built within the heart of a disciple of Christ to look and say, here am I, send me, here am I, send me, here am I, send me. Every time somebody has an encounter with the living God, like, here am I, send me. That's the, that's the heart of it. Like, to, to have the heart of Christ for the nations is to see the nations believe the gospel, to come to saving faith, to follow the Lord in baptism, to live their life serving the church, to be sent themselves. So you kind of like save to be sent. And that doesn't mean everybody goes every place or whatever. Some of us, we sometimes uh, send money. We sometimes like um, to, to things that are being done around the world. Some of us go to short-term things like that. Some of us spend hours praying for missionaries and those kind of things. Some of us uh, spend every day thinking, I'm on mission, I'm on mission, I'm on mission. That is the heart of a disciple, to be on mission. And so wherever I go, if I'm working this, in this place, I'm on mission. I'm on mission. I'm trying to, I want my life to be on mission. I'm not, and, and so you're, you're trying to say like, this moment is not a great selfie. This is not a selfie moment that I can like show all the, my friends. It's not, that's not all that life is, is one moment after another showing other people what I'm doing. That, that's not like that's not being on mission hey we have to do this because all of our friends are going here and we have to go da, da, da. that's not on mission i'm not saying like when we go into other places which is fine to do that some when we do that like i think we being on mission would be like lord whoever we encounter whoever we encounter if we can we would love to tell them about the gospel we'd love to share with them we'd love to you know, and, and, and whether that's whoever's with us or those who are people we'll meet along the way, we want to stir their affections towards God or turn them to God for the very first time. Jesus said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, um, make, go and make, uh, sorry, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
We witness God's work in our lives through the gospel. We are called to witness to friends, family, co-workers, and the nations of God's grace in Christ who gave his life for us. That, that's, that is what we do. That is what we do. And I've said this over and over and just kind of want to remind you of it. There are some churches, this is the mentality, they're, they're very attractional. And we, it's not that we won't think about that sometimes and do some of those things, but they're saying, like, hey, if you'll come here, if you'll come here, we're going to have fun, and your kids will have so much fun, and we're going to, like, we're going to have, like, big festivals every other month, and, like, everybody just bring them here, and they're going to have so much fun. It's, it's, it's everything. What we're going to do is, like, it, whatever they've ever dreamed of doing, like, they'll get to do here, and it'll put them in a great environment so that they, uh, instead of being out in that bad world, we're going to have them here. That's an attractional deal. Come here. Come here and we will do everything that you would kind of be doing out in the world, but do it in a safe way. Right? That, that's an attractional kind of thing. Or, like, hey, did you hear they're giving away this, you know, like, let's go this, you know, morning or whatever at the end, they're going to give away a flat screen TV. I mean, stuff like that goes on. It's very attractional. But our church is not emphasizing like hey like come see the attraction we, we believe the healthiest thing is to say come here get equipped suited up to go out into the world and be my witnesses come walk with us for this time we are going to help prepare you to 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 be the most faithful steward of the life that you've been given Come here and learn how to use the weapons, spiritual weapons that are available to us and put on the spiritual armor available to us. Come hang out with us and we will do that. We will teach you how to use those things well. To defend yourself and to be on the offensive to the glory of God and the good of others in this world with the gospel. We were singing the other night. I was like, boys, we're going to sing a song. It was my favorite as a kid. It was onward Christian soldiers marching as to war. And I don't know why. I mean, I don't even, I haven't read the whole thing, so you might be like, I don't even know what's in that song. I don't fully know either. But I always thought, that's a crazy idea, that like we're an army. We are an army, commissioned army. Because that's really what we are. We are a commissioned army to go out into the world. And here's the thing. We are living in a hostile old creation. We come here, it's a safe house. And we bandage you up. This is what we're hoping to do. So that when you leave here, you're going back out to fight another day. And then you come back in and say, oh my goodness, this enemy is too, like, you don't understand. You don't know where he hides. You don't know how he thinks. Be like, no, no, no. We fought in that area before. I'm going to tell you how you're going to go fight another day. And so we talk to you about a little battle plan. We stitch you up and we say, get back out there. You'd be like, what if we, what if I lose my life? What if it costs me everything? You say, well, uh, you'll be okay. Because uh, our Lord died and rose again. And he promised to like, you'll forever be with him. Let's get back out there. That's a different mentality than another, some churches. Where it's like, come here, we're going to entertain you. I say, come here, we're going to equip you. 
come here, you're called to fight in a battle that's greater than you can see. And the more capable you are of seeing it, the more you're going to be like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that. Come here, we'll equip you. Rather than come here and we will entertain you. So that's kind of what this church is doing. That's what we're striving to do. That's what we're calling you to. I hope that uh, you'll uh, continue to embody that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. And we just pray that you would use us to um, be lights in a dark world. In Jesus' name, amen.